0: So, uh, let, let's keep that in mind as we go through our, uh, our message today. <clears throat> and I thank God the PowerPoint started working this morning. I was praying hard. Thank <laughs> you, thank you, Jesus. Uh, but we're going to talk about the white throne judgment. Uh, turn with me to Revelation 20, if you haven't already. Now, let's recount the, uh, what we looked at last week. Uh, the first ten verses. Uh, Satan is bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. Uh, then he talks about the resurrection and reward for various groups. Uh, Jesus Christ is the first one who rose from the dead; he's the first fruits. Then you got the dead in Christ and the raptured saints. Uh, the two witnesses are resurrected. The Old Testament saints, according to Daniel twelve, they're resurrected after the tribulation, and then you have the tribulation saints. This completes the first resurrection. Only believers are in the first resurrection. It's only saved people. Um, and then Satan is loosed after the thousand-year kingdom to lead one final rebellion. And then he joins his two comrades, the, the false prophet and, and the beast, in the lake of fire. Right now, nobody is in the final hell. Nobody's there yet. Uh, it does exist, I believe, but nobody's there. But those three will be the first ones to go into the lake of fire. Now some people believe there's only one resurrection. But I think the scriptures teach us that, um, that there are two. Uh, book of Daniel. Daniel 12. says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. And then Jesus in John's gospel, John 5, 29, it says, uh, Some shall come forth, they shall come forth, they that have done good, and by the way, the good here is believing the gospel. It's not being a good person. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil, and that means those who have rejected Jesus, unto the resurrection of damnation. Now the Bible doesn't, refer, uh, Revelation doesn't call it the resurrection of uh, damnation. It calls it the second death. Alright. Let's, uh, let's all stand and read uh, Revelation uh, 20. Just a few verses here this morning. Verse 11 And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask Pastor Larry if he'll pray for me and pray for all of us to hear the word. Father, we're thankful that you have brought us out to church. Tonight. <clears throat> and we pray that you help us to listen and attend to your word. This is a very uh, very heavy passage of Scripture. So let's just uh, let's get through it this morning. Um, First thing we see is there's a great, uh, there's a great throne It's awesome. This is the most awesome passage, I think, in all of the Word of God. And when I say awesome, I mean it's terrifying. It's, it's a dreadful prospect to stand before God. And it's white, uh, symbolizing the purity of God, His absolute holiness. And then he says, I saw, John says, I saw the one who sat on it. Now there are some commentaries that say it's the Father, and no doubt He's there. But I believe that the judge, uh, the one that's seated on the throne, is the Son. And I've, I've got some scriptures that I've uh, shared with you, and I want to ask Mark if he'll help me this morning uh, to read John five twenty two and John five twenty seven.
1: John five twenty two, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. John five twenty seven and have given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man.
0: He's uniquely qualified to judge because he's the only member of the Godhead that's been a human being. So nobody will be able to stand before him and say, well, you don't know what it was like to be a a human. Being a human's hard, isn't it? But nobody will be able to say to Jesus, you don't know what it feels like, because Jesus knows exactly what it feels like. He was tempted in every way, just like you and I are. The only major difference is that he didn't sin. And that's what qualifies him to be this righteous judge. Now the Apostle Paul also uh, lends credence to this idea that Christ will be the judge. And that's Acts 17.31. Acts
1: 17.31 Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Alright, so Christ is the judge, and we
0: know this because God raised him from the dead. And he's, he's uh, commended him to be the judge of the earth. Alright, Revelation 20. Um, it says, uh, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away, and there was no place for them. This is none other than the uncreation of the universe. <coughs> And God uh, promised that he would. I don't believe that this is simply a renovation. I believe that the same God that spoke the universe into existence is now going to uncreate. So that he can create a new heavens and a new earth. We've got two scriptures, uh, uh, two witnesses here
1: from Matthew and 2 Peter. Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as it in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All right. So, um,
0: that's pretty clear, pretty cut and dry, isn't it? And by the way, the, the words in the Greek there about the elements melting, uh, it, it's like atomic particles. So it's almost like a nuclear explosion. But God's not going to use a nuclear bomb. He doesn't need to, right? Yeah, right. Because he just spoke the world into existence. So, um, but, 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 but that's the terminology that's used here. It's like um, the, the, the physical universe, the properties of mass and matter and such um, being dissolved. All right. Revelation 20, 12 says, I saw the dead, the small and the great. Notice there's, a, there's equal footing here. Nobody has any advantage. At the judgment seat uh, here Now um, Daniel foresaw this Judgment, I apologize Mark You're getting a workout today, but you got a great radio voice
1: You got a feature of broadcasting at this banquet. thing <laughs> Alright, uh, Daniel 7 9, 9 and 10 Daniel 7 verse 9 I beheld Till the thrones were cast down And the ancient of days did sit Whose garment was white as snow And the hair of his head like the pure wool his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wills as burning fire. In verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open.
0: As Daniel sees the throne, sees the books are open. Okay. Warren Wearsby says this. The white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. At the white throne, there will be a judge but no jury. A prosecution but no defense. A sentence but no appeal. No one will be able to defend himself or accuse God of unrighteousness. What an awesome scene it will be. I would say amen to that. Now, since the small and the great, they stand before God. There's an accountability here. All of us are going to keep an appointment with God. Every one of us. Christians are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers are going to appear at the white throne judgment. Books were opened. Well, what's the standard for this judgment, you might ask? Well, if you're asking for a fair trial, you're in bad shape. If you're going to ask God to give you what you deserve. Don't ever pray that prayer, by the way. Don't ever say, oh God, please give me what I deserve. Because we'll be planning your funeral. If you do that. Among other things. Don't ever ask God. Thank God that he doesn't give you what you deserve. That's called mercy. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. That's grace. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. What is the standard? Well, it's not a sliding scale. God does it great on a curve. It's perfection. Mark, you to
1: read uh, those verses on, on the board there? Matthew 5, verse 48. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. First Peter 1, verse 16. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. James 2, verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not, in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You see, it's an all or nothing proposition.
0: You say, well, I've kept nine commandments. Well, if you break one out of the ten, you're doomed. And I can promise you there's not one person in this room that hasn't broken one of the ten commandments. You say, Well, I never killed anybody. Well, the Bible says if you hate your brother without cause, you're a murderer. You say, Well, I never committed an adultery. Jesus said, If you look on somebody with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Now, how many of you are going to raise your hand and say you never told a lie? Because if you do, you're going to be lying right now.
1: Right?
0: Thou shalt not bear false witness. Keeping the Sabbath day. None of us keep the Sabbath day. Sunday's not Sabbath day anyway. It's The seventh day of the week is Saturday. But uh, and I could go on and on and on. But we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room. We need a Savior. And the books that are going to be open, our deeds are going to be on display. Amen. That's a hard... What What if... What if God were on this wall here to put every thought that you had this week for all the world to see? That'd be a sobering thought, wouldn't it? It'd be embarrassing. It'd be humiliating. It'd be gut-wrenching. It would be... Um, Very confusing to everybody. It might be. I have had Yeah, well, it might be confusing. <laughs> see, so he's being honest. And, and so we, if everybody were to see the thoughts that we have, uh, not just our deeds, but our, our words. What about our words? You know, God's listening to what we say, too. Uh, this is just some of our deeds on display here, um, from Romans, Luke, Matthew. And Ecclesiastes, don't you just read those in rapid fire
1: there. Romans 2, verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Luke 8, verse 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Matthew 12, verse 37. For by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil.
0: See, we can hide from people, but we can't hide anything from God. He knows everything. Every word, every thought, every action. Here's one that I didn't think about, and the Holy Spirit brought this to my attention uh, I think it was a couple days ago, and I had to revise my PowerPoint, which I had finished on Thursday, and the Lord said, no, I want you to, to add this on there too. And that's sense of omission. That's the things that we know to do good, and we have not, we've left undone. And everybody in this room uh, is
1: guilty of these things. Uh, Mark, would you read those from James and uh, Matthew? James 4, verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. Matthew 25, verse 45. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily, I say unto you, Inasmuch as, as ye did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. So, let me put it
0: to you this way. Somebody might ask you, What do I have to do to go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Just do nothing and you'll go. Just do nothing. It's not just what you've done, it's what you've left undone. And that's a sobering thought. Alright. <clears throat> now some might say, well, what about people who don't who've never heard the gospel? What about them? Do they get a free pass? <laughs> no. Because they've got creation. Yes. Creation preaches a sermon every morning. How can anybody look around and not know that there's an intelligent creator who designed all? Be- the, the beauty of the earth, and uh, it's just amazing to me that anybody could think that there was no God. Um, but we have the witness
1: of creation. All right. Psalm 19, 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Romans 1, 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. One twenty: For the invisible things of him... From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse, guys. There is a God in heaven.
0: All right. Well, what about the folks that don't have the law? I mean, not everybody has access to to a Bible. We have the witness of conscience. God has written the law in every human being's heart. Um... First, uh, Trinity, you and Remington come here for a second. I'll have a shoe, I'll <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, let's say I was going to hire Remington and Trinity to come do some work at my house. You like to do yard work? No. Even better. Even better. So let's say I agree, and I'm going to hire the two of you, and you're both going to do the same thing. You're both going to rake leaves and pull weeds at the house. And I say at the end of the day, I'm going to pay you both. And you don't ask any questions. You just say, okay. So imagine that you guys have worked all day, pretend like you're raking leaves it's going to be a long time before we get them to leave right. so at the end of the day I call them to me I say Remington you did a great job I'm going to give you one dollar my friend and I say to Trinity Trinity you did a good job I'm going to give you a thousand dollars what's Remington going to say <laughs> what's he going to say is- that's not Fair. Why? Because the conscience. We know, instinctively we know right and wrong, right? Even if we don't have it. Now these two know their Bible, so that this is not a perfect illustration here. But you get the point. Instinctively we know right and wrong. Even people that don't believe in God or claim to believe in God. Alright, thank y'all. Y'all give them a hand. So we have
1: the witness of conscience. Uh Mark, you want to read those scriptures? Romans 2 verse 14 For when the Gentiles which have not the law Do by nature the things contained in the law These having not the law are a law unto themselves Romans 2 verse 15 Which show the work of the law written in their hearts Their conscience also bearing witness And their thoughts the while accusing Or else excusing one another so God's given us all this internal voice of
0: God. And it's called the conscience. Um, some of the people are worried about fear, you know, Am I going to get a fair, uh, fair trial? Well, everybody has fallen, uh, fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person has. So it's going to be a, a, a fair sense. But there's going to be degrees of punishment. I don't believe that the hell for Adolf Hitler is going to be the same as it will be for the guy who's basically just a good old good neighbor who who rejected Jesus Christ. But there's
1: going to be a fair sentence. Would you read that for us, Mark? Romans 2, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Romans 2, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law... Shall be justified. All right. God is a
0: perfect judge. Well, let's talk about these degrees of punishment. Now, these uh, Jesus spoke this to the groups that had seen some of his greatest miracles. This this was
1: the context of these scriptures. Matthew and Luke, would you read this one? Matthew eleven verse twenty four. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. Than for thee, Luke twelve verse forty seven, and that servant which knew his lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. Luke twelve verse forty eight, that he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required; and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. All right, so it's fair. There's going to be degrees of punishment, just like there'll be degrees of
0: reward for those who serve God. Let's go back to Revelation 20. We're going to get theological here. We're going to teach a little theology here this morning. Um, Verse 13 says that the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell or Hades. Gave up the dead which were in them. So let's go now to Luke uh, 16. Luke 16. I don't have this one on the board, so you're going to have to turn in the Bible. Sorry. I do that so we don't get lazy. If I put everything up here for you, you'll just get lazy on me. I can't have that. you got to flex your muscles. I mean, exercise your muscles every once in a while. Luke 16. Now Luke 16 is not a parable. Because it uses actual names. Of people. So this is not some just an allegory. Alright, Mark, would you read... Um,
1: to the end of the chapter. Yes. Luke 16:19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar, <coughs> and Lazarus in his bosom. Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he saith unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Though (coughs) he rose from the dead.
0: Sobering thought, isn't it? And so in the Old Testament, everybody went uh, to Sheol, or Abraham's bosom. After Christ rose from the dead, um, the location of paradise changed. There's no such thing as soul sleep, by the way. You're either in Hades or you're in the presence of God. That's what the Bible teaches um, if you're a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Praise God. Nobody's floating around, you know, waiting in some holy place, not in purgatory. Now, only the wicked are in Hades right now. That's what the scripture teaches. Um, let, let's just look at these. We've got time. Go to Second go to Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 12 now.
1: Alright, rejoin in verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 4. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such and one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, how that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter.
0: So it's interesting, Paul went to heaven, but he didn't talk about it, and now everybody writes a book about it, supposedly. All right, y'all didn't like that too much, so I'll just move on for that. Uh, go with me now uh, to Philippians 1, Philippians 1, just a few books over. says um, in verses 21 through 23. Mark, would you read those?
1: Philippians 1, 21 through 23. Philippians 1 verses 21 through 23. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I will not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart. And to be with Christ, which is far better. So, Paul says if he dies, he's going where? To be with Christ. Mm -hmm. Not to purgatory
0: or, or some unseen place. All right, go with me now to Ephesians, which is right before Philippians. Ephesians 4.
1: And if you'll read 8 through 10 for me. Ephesians 4, verses 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lowest parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So Christ went where? Into the lowest
0: parts of the earth. That's where paradise was before Jesus rose from the dead. Now it's in the third heaven. Alright, I'm going to show you something that I've never really thought about that I think is proof of this. Go to Matthew 27. And I can just about guarantee you've never heard a sermon on this. And I know I've never preached it. Either. Didn't really know what to do with it, quite honestly. <coughs> Matthew
1: 27.
0: <coughs> verses 50. The Bible does not teach soul sleep, by the way. It's used to go sleep. Sleep is a euphemism for death. You know why? Because for the Christian, he never dies. Only his body goes to sleep, but his spirit's alive. That's why, that's why it says sleep. <coughs> Doesn't mean that when you die, you you take a nap. Some of you are taking one right now. But but you won't take one later, I promise.
1: All right. What did I say? Matthew 27. Mark, would you read 52 through 53? Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection. And went into the holy city and appeared unto him. Wouldn't that be wild? Amen. <laughs> I
0: mean, wouldn't that be wild? Now, do they die again or do they maintain a resurrected body? I honestly don't know. But the concept of first fruits fruits—there's there's, uh, Jesus is the first fruits. He rose from the dead. Notice it says he rose first after his resurrection. And then there were others. But I believe this was to show that paradise has now moved from the heart of the earth. They're going to be taken up to the third heaven, uh, where where Christ and where the Father is. Uh, the Old Testament saints, I like to put it this way, they were saved on credit. Go with me to Romans 3. I know this is a lot of theology here, but this answers some questions. People have questions about what happens. I think there's a movie that's popular right now in the movie theaters about what happens when you die. And everybody's got all these crazy ideas. I'm teaching you what happens when you die.
1: Romans 3, 25. Mark, would you read that? Romans 3, verse 25. Who God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. What are those sins that are past? Those are the sins under the Old Testament.
0: You see, that's why before... I'm about to shout here. I'm just getting... (laughs) See, before they couldn't go to heaven. Because the price had not been paid. The blood had not been shed. And so they were saved on credit. That's why all every year they had the, the Day of Atonement and all that stuff. And all those sacrifices. But when Jesus died on that cross and he shed his blood, and he descended into the lower parts of the earth.
1: Amen.
0: He said to all those saints that had been waiting. He said, we're about to move on up. And I'm not talking about the Jeffersons either. We're about to move on up to the third heaven. Because now the price has been paid. Amen. It's no longer on credit anymore. It's to that now. Debt has been paid in full. And he took those captives. That's what it means, lead captivity captive. He took them to heaven. And that's where the saints are now. And now when a person dies in the Lord, they go to be with the Lord. Thank God. So the only people in Hades now are the wicked. Sheol. Sheol and Hades are the same terms. Um, Alright. So let's go back to Revelation 20. We're almost done here. Sea gave up the dead, which were in it. Now why is the sea mentioned here? Because I believe that's the farthest place anybody could ever you know, be, and God's going to reassemble it. So if somebody that dies at sea, God's going to bring that body back together. Somebody that's cremated, God's able to put that body back together. Um, can you think of something that might have happened that would land a lot of people dead at sea? Back in Genesis chapter six flood yeah all right notice in verse 14 death and hell were cast into where lake of fire nobody's there yet but this place is real it's real um, go with me to matthew well, I'll tell you what, you don't have to. I've got it on the board. We'll save some time. Let's just let Mark read it to us. There's different words for hell in the New Testament. One is Hades. Okay? It's the equivalent of Sheol, Hades, Sheol, the realm of the dead. There's another word for hell, and it's Gehenna. Okay?
1: We're going we're to explain that in just a moment. I'll let Mark read these, uh, these verses. Matthew 18, verse 9. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell, Gehenna, fire. Matthew twenty-five, verse forty-one. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So notice, the lake of fire was never meant
0: for you. It was prepared for who? But it was prepared. Now Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's heaven. But this is something that's also been prepared as hell. Now, Gehenna, uh, the people that Jesus heard say that, it would have had special significance to them. And I'm going to read, I'm going to let Mark read this to you. This is from John MacArthur's commentary about Gehenna. Gehenna
1: is the New Testament word for the valley of Ben Hinnon, located southwest of Jerusalem. In OT times, idolatrous Israelites burned their children in the fire there as sacrifice to the false gods. Jeremiah nineteen two through six. In Jesus' day, it was the site of Jerusalem's garbage dump. The fires kept constantly burning, their gave their gave off. There gave off foul, smelling and smoke, and the dump was infested with maggots. Sometimes the bodies of criminals were dumped there. The valley of Ben Hinnom was thus an apt picture of eternal hell. Is that an appointment? Uh, an apt. Oh, an apt. Okay, sorry. An apt picture of eternal hell, one used repeatedly by Jesus. Matthew 5 22, 29, 30. 10, 28, 18, 9, 23, 15, 33, Mark 9, 43, 45 47, Luke 12, 5. Hell will be God's eternal cosmic dump. Its inmates will be burning as garbage forever. John the prophet. Wow. I mean, Jesus couldn't have given
0: us a more vivid picture of what it's going to be like. Hell is a place of no escape. It's a place of torment, physical, unquenchable fire, where the worm never dies, total darkness, and the worst part of all, separated from God. Amen. I can't imagine. Tormented day and night, forever and ever. But you and I don't have to go there. We don't have to go there.
1: It's a real place.
0: But we don't have to go there. The choice is ours though. Are you going to choose salvation or condemnation? I told you earlier, all you have to do to go to hell, go to the lake of fire, is just do nothing.
1: John 3, 16 through 19. Where would you read those? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 3.17 For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. 3.18 He that believeth on Him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 319, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Notice in 16, God loved the world, but
0: in 19, men love darkness. That's, it's, it's not a lack of information, it's, it's, a, it's not a head problem, in other words, it's a heart problem. We love darkness by nature. If you don't believe in Christ, what does he say? You're already condemned. You're a dead man walking. Just a few more slides and we're done here. What about our deeds? What about our good deeds? Some of you say, well, Henry, I'm a good person. I mean, I I do a lot of philanthropy. I I give to charity. I'm involved in uh, social justice reform. Well, I'm going to tell you what, your good
1: deeds are not good enough. Isaiah 64, 6. What did you read that? Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Notice that the righteousness is, is
0: plural there. Our righteous deeds. Not our sinful deeds. This is our good deeds. People lose sight of that. It's not just our sin; our very best deeds are in the sight of God as filthy rags. Now, a lot of people are involved in what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Anybody heard of that? I didn't hear about it until just recently, but, but some of you may know. Moralistic therapeutic deism is this idea that if I'm involved in a cause, it's going to uh, assuage, it's going to uh, ease my conscience. You know? And a lot of young people now, unfortunately. Are, are really into moralistic, therapeutic deism. And their cause becomes a god to them. You know? and it, now, let me encourage the young people for one thing, though. It's good that you want to be involved. It's good that you want to help those uh, who are oppressed, that you want to help the underdog, you want to you end world hunger, uh, you want to end racism, you want to end all these things. But we have to be careful that these things don't become a god uh, to us. Now, the moralistic part is doing good deeds. And the therapeutic part is, when you do good deeds, it makes you feel good. It feels good to be involved in a charity, to volunteer at the homeless shelter, to work in the soup kitchen. It feels good to do these things. But what happens sometimes is the deism part is we make a God out of it. And you can do all of those wonderful things. Listen, you can give every every dollar you've ever made to the United Way when you die and still go to hell. If you don't make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Now, this is where it's going to get really uncomfortable. um, Because it would seem to me, according to Matthew 7, that there's going to be church people who are in hell. People who teach Sunday school, people who preach, pastors. um, Sunday school teachers, youth workers, children's church workers, music directors, um, deacons. It would seem to me, if I take Jesus at, at his word... There are going to be church people that are going to go to the lake of fire. And it's not going to be a few. Notice that first word in Matthew 7, 22? It's not few, is it? It's many. It means there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be in for a big shock. Oh God, have mercy on us.
1: Mark, would you read Matthew 7, 22 and 23? Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Don't hide behind the ministry.
0: Don't think if I get involved in church work I can be saved. Don't think if I go with some ritual you know, if I, even if I get baptized You can be baptized and be lost. You can be a member of the church and be lost. Some people join the church just so they can have a place to be buried when they die. You know, you need to be thinking about where you're going to go after the body goes in the ground. You need to be thinking about your eternal destiny. Now you say, well, Henry, you shouldn't be talking like this on Sunday. Well, I wouldn't, but everything I know about hell I learned from Jesus himself. And if I want to tell you about the sweet stuff, we're going to preach about heaven next week if Jesus tarries and I'm still alive. We're going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth that it's real and it's glorious and it's better than anything you can ever imagine. But guess what? This is real too. And you can't pick and choose what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. And I, I'm afraid we give so little thought. You know, we, we give so much thought to everything in the world, don't we? We give so much thought to everything. But how much thought do people give to their eternal destiny? Because we're going somewhere, folks. The good uh, news—if there was any advice I got when I was uh, studying to be a preacher—it says "You, you preach hellfire and brimstone, but don't leave them there. Don't leave them there, because Jesus has made a way of escape. He has made a way of escape. Mark, would
1: you read Galatians 3, 13? Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree.
0: Every law that you and I ever broke, Jesus paid the price for it on the, on the cross. Mm-hmm.
1: 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For he hath made him to be Sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God took the sin of the whole world and put it on that one man,
0: Jesus Christ. Every sin you and I would, every evil thought, every evil deed, every secret thing on Jesus. But that's not all. He put all the sin on Him, but all the righteousness of the Son of God is now transferred to us by way of faith. So when Jesus sees you, He sees the perfect obedience of the Son. And that's why the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because when I come to God, He doesn't see me. He sees the blood. He sees the blood of His Son. Isaiah 53, 6. The great prophecy of the suffering
1: servant about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of his soul. Amen. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you for paying the price for me. Well, what do I have to do, Henry? This sounds like a great deal. I'm glad you asked. Acts 16, verse 30. This is when Paul and Silas, uh, God, broke them out of prison. <laughs> Uh, The Philippian jailer comes and he asked life's most important question. The Philippian jailer asked life's most important question and Paul and Silas had the answer. Do you have the answer? Well, if you don't, Mark's about to
1: give it to you. Acts 16, 30. Acts 16, verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 16, verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved Hallelujah. and thy hands. <laughs> it's not complicated. What do we have to do, Paul? Paul
0: didn't get out a big old <laughs> denominational handbook. and say, well, you got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you got to do that. That's what preachers do. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Now, last verse here. I want to ask you, do you want to be judged according to the books or do you want your name written down in the book of life because the issue is are you going to be judged by the book or the books if you're going to go with the if you're going to go with the books you're going to be judged according to your works if you're judged by the book if your name is written down in the lamb's book of life I should say then it's not your works that's going to get you to heaven it is the perfect obedience of the lord
1: jesus christ Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And this is our last verse of the day. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Glory be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Not one thing I can do to earn my way
0: into heaven. Not one thing. Not one good deed. I simply come to him, and I don't ask for a fair trial. Here's what I have to do. I have to plead guilty. I come before the judge of the earth, and I say, God, have mercy on me. I am guilty as charged. And here's the good news. When you say, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, he takes away your transgressions." Would you stand this morning? Hell is an awful place. It's for eternity. It's the place of no escape and eternal torment, but you don't have to go there. The Bible says that the gospel of the good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And if you will repent of your sins, cast yourself upon the mercies of God, Jesus said, the one who comes to the I will in no wise cast out. So allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now. There may be someone here in this room today, and you've never really trusted Jesus as Savior, you've gone through the motions, listen to me. I don't care if you've been in this church for 50, 60 years. Nobody's going to think bad of you. We are going to rejoice and wrap our arms around you and love on you. Nobody's going to think bad on you. So I wouldn't care if I was a deacon or a Sunday school, or if I was the pastor here today and I and I needed to get saved, I'd have my, myself in that altar and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Because when you stand before God, you're going to stand on your own two feet.